a trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. This is a place where we gather to revel in wrong think. And if we're going to do that, we might as well have the best company possible. That would be my friend Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com. Eric, how are you today? Well, I'm ready to be intelligently assisted. How about you? Oh, man. I, I have to admit, that's a term I don't often hear about, and, and yet it's, it's only because I don't drive new enough cars to, to know what that means. For those who are, are un, unfamiliar with intelligence assistance, what exactly are we talking about? Well, it's an in-car speed limiter, but I'd like to start off by just dissecting a little bit this cloying, insipid language that they always use when they try to cram this kind of thing down our throats. Intelligent assistance, implying that you're an idiot you know, if you object to it, and more fundamentally that you are an idiot because you need this. You need assistance in the manner of a handicapped person, except we're not handicapped. Wow. <laughs> anyway, the, what, they're, what they're seeking to do, in fact, they've already done it, uh, almost all new cars already have this technology embedded in it, but you can still turn it off. They want to make it so you can't turn it off. Um, they want to uh, incentivize the car companies to do that so that whatever your uh, whatever the speed limit is on the road that you happen to be driving, the car will not exceed it. So, uh, you know, it'll be kind of like the old 55-mile-an-hour speed limit, except instead of being enforced by a, an occasional cop in a radar trap, uh, it'll be your car that enforces it all the time. The one upside to this, though, and you and I talked about this a little bit before we went on the air, is that uh, the EVs that they're trying to cram down everybody's throat uh, are largely being sold on the basis of they're being speedy. And then I, I ask myself, what's the point of a speedy EV that can't speed? Right. Right. It's, I mean, you know, you can, you can look at it, but you can't touch it. You know, it's that, it's that yeah. mentality. It's like being told, okay, you're going to go out and buy a 5,000-square-foot home and you're going to pay every pretty penny for it, but you're only going to be allowed to use one of the closets. <laughs> I love it. Uh, well, and and as, as you have pointed out, um, I mean, you, you've been one of the, I think, the foremost voices on, on why, look, don't run headlong into EVs. There are some downsides here, too. We're learning about yeah. another downside in the aftermath of Hurricane Ian. Yeah, yeah. Well, what happened has happened in the case of every single hurricane that's ever come through in the modern era uh, cars get uh, inundated. They get flooded. You know, and every time this happens, people always talk about uh, the the shady dealings of uh, flooded cars being exported to other states with a wash title, and then some poor sucker buys a thing, only to find out later that it you know it, it went for a, a bath before they got it. Now uh, we've got this additional issue with electric cars because when they get wet, they catch fire, and there have been a number of these uh, EV fires down in Florida as a result of that. Uh, collusion getting into the battery and the battery spontaneously combusting. And God knows how many of these title wash EVs are going to show up in other states and the poor person who buys it, park it in their, in their garage maybe, and then the house burns down because the battery uh, suffered some degradation and the thing lit off. You know, it's, it's, just a, it's just a serial ongoing cascading fiasco. Yeah, the, the whole green energy thing, and it's not that I'm opposed to the idea of, hey, you know, lower carbon footprint, that's great. But the way it's being forced on us, I don't know, it's, it's a lot like broccoli as a kid. The more it's forced on us, the less, less inclined I am to want it. Well, 
you know, I'm going to challenge that. I, you know, I am opposed to this whole idea of, of being guilt-shamed into worrying about our so-called carbon footprint. Carbon is what gives us life. It's what gives plants uh, the, the, the things that we need to eat and, and feeds the animals that we, that we eat. Uh, it's what keeps our homes warm. It's what allows us to drive places. And this idea that a fractional increase in the 0.04% of the Earth's atmosphere, that is carbon dioxide, is somehow going to cause catastrophic climate change is fatuous, and it needs to be challenged, just the same as we challenge the fatuity of masking and standing on one foot slash social distancing and all the other nonsense that they peddled to people over the last three years. No, that, uh, you know, that you've got to attack sense. this stuff at the root. That makes sense. And, and and maybe I need to clarify what I'm saying. I have no problem with someone coming up with a better way. But in the meantime, let's use what we have. Let's use it wisely. And, and fossil fuels are, are what we have. And, and frankly, we have, I think, some remarkable resources available. You and I talked a few years ago about, you know, the whole Volkswagen fiasco. Oh, well, they cheated yeah. on their emissions test. But mm-hmm. you pointed out what those Volkswagen engines that uh, that were over, you know, emitting particles into the air were emitting mm-hmm. was was minuscule. Like nobody was going to mm-hmm. notice and think, well, everywhere they see a Volkswagen, somebody's rolling coal. Yeah. But, but the EPA sure acted like it was. Well, the EPA acted that way because they, uh, those vehicles, those highly efficient diesel vehicles, represented an existential threat to this electrification agenda. You can see the pieces of this puzzle all coming together. It's not accidental that VW got raked over the coals circa 2016, which is just when this EV thing really started getting hot and heavy. Uh, you know, you look at a, a diesel-powered Volkswagen Golf or Jetta. This thing got 50 miles per gallon or better on the highway. Cost about $22,000. Makes a $50,000 Tesla look pretty damn stupid, doesn't it? Wow. Um, and even more so, Volkswagen had in the works a diesel hybrid commuter car. It was a small commuter car. And this thing would have, was estimated to have been capable of getting anywhere between 80 and 150 miles per gallon. And that would have made an EV absolutely preposterous. And so there was this, in my opinion, deliberate effort made to demonize Volkswagen, to portray them as filthy, planet-polluting, scoured, you know, corporate scourges uh, because they had to be gotten out of the way in order to push this electrification agenda. Yeah. Well, and, and, and back to, to the whole, uh, you know, intelligence assist thing, too. Um, I, I'm concerned that uh, my car is going gonna, is gonna to rat me out. When, when, mm-hmm. If I do get a little heavy on the accelerator, not only is it going to try and limit me, but it's also going to tattle. Sure, to the insurance mafia, right. And once again, let's get back to attacking things at the root. There's this preposterous premise that any time that you drive any faster than whatever the posted speed limit is, that this is somehow, if so facto, unsafe. And it's ludicrous. It's just a silly, absurd proposition. Uh, it's just as easy to kill somebody by driving them, uh, driving over them at the speed limit uh, as it is to do it when you're driving a little bit faster. It's nonsense. We're talking about uh, apples and oranges kinds of comparisons here. So they're just using that uh, as another way to shame guilt people into accepting a diminishment. You know, or you can't go any faster than, you know, than, than a, basically a walking pace. And I'm not exaggerating when I say a walking pace. You may, be, you may be familiar with the term vision zero. I'm not. Do you know about that? I'm not. This is something in, in urban, urban planning circles. You know, these, these people, these, these managerial technocrats uh, who are uh, busily uh, beetling around behind the scenes to, to implement these things. Uh, and what they want in Vision Zero is uh, to eliminate personal personal vehicles in favor of walking and bicycling and government-controlled subways, trains, buses, and things of that nature. Vision Zero. Anybody can look into it. I've got it 
Uh, I've got it linked in, in the latest article that I posted about this intelligent speed limit assist stuff. Wow. Well, all I know is the walls are closing in, and it feels like one of the places where we're really feeling that right now is in our cost of energy. You had another article about mm-hmm. um, the, the cost of gas, low gas prices for another month, maybe. Now, I'm not trying to yeah. scare anybody, but let's talk a little bit about that. Um, we're congratulating ourselves that uh, gas is cheaper than five bucks a gallon, but mm-hmm. compared to where we were a couple of years ago or even a year ago, we're still paying through the nose, aren't we? Yeah, well, we're supposed to somehow be ecstatic that gas only costs twice as much now rather than three times as much. And the only reason that the prices have gone down temporarily uh, is because of an artificial, not natural, temporary increase in supply via dumping open the spigots of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, which Biden very cynically decided to do a couple of months ago because they know know that uh, on a gut level, most people – can't abide high gas prices, and we're rolling into the midterms, and it was becoming uh, electorally catastrophic for them that gas prices were, were tripled. So they, they dump open the Strategic Petroleum Reserve to tamp down the prices temporarily, which is incredibly ironic because the whole reason the gas prices have gone through the roof is because of their deliberate specific policies to decrease the amount of oil that's available. Anyway, there's a limit to what's in the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, and when that is tapped out, the prices are going to roll right back up, and all of this is going to end after uh, after the midterm elections, no matter what. So that's when we'll see the prices go back up. Absolutely. Wow. You know, minimally, even if the midterms go well, let's say, and uh, a lot of these leftists are flushed out, keep in mind that the flushing out doesn't happen until January. So they've got several more months to do as much damage as they possibly can. So in the best-case scenario, uh, things are going to get ugly for a few months. And then in the best-case scenario, maybe – uh, a, a GOP-controlled Congress will be able to undo some of the damage, but Biden will still be president, and they'll have to override his veto, which is extremely difficult to do unless they overwhelmingly control Congress. Dang. No, that's that's very sobering, but, but I, I agree. We're coming up on our break. Again, we're visiting with Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com. Eric, when we come back, I'd like to talk a little bit about, uh, um, I want to talk a little bit about geopolitical stuff. Just get your take on mm-hmm. uh, on the, the escalation that we see happening on the other side of the world, what that means for energy sure. prices as well. And sure. we can find some other fun stuff to talk about. If you uh, want to check out his website, check out the link I put in my show notes. Go to thebrianheidshow.com, click on it, and then uh, prepare yourself for many happy hours of reading. All right, we'll take a quick break back in just a few moments. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. We are talking today with Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com. Now, Eric, I don't spend a whole lot of time on geopolitical stuff. Actually, political stuff kind of sickens me, but I do like to stay up on what's happening. I got to get your take, though. Uh, Seems like some pretty serious escalation is taking place in that uh, Russia-Ukraine conflict. I'd love to get your thoughts on it. Uh, Well, you know, my initial immediate thought has been the same one that I've had for the whole time that this has been going on, which is, uh, to sum it up, what Bismarck reportedly said about the Balkans, and when he said that they're not worth the healthy bones of a single Pomeranian grenadier, and wow. you know, no offense to the Ukrainians, and I'm you know I'm I'm sympathetic to their plight, but this idea 
that it's worth a global nuclear holocaust over their internecine squabble uh, is monstrous and demented. You know, we had a uh, we had a whole we had a world war that uh, that, that that cost tens of, of millions of people their lives over freaking Sarajevo, you know, over some obscure Austro Austro Hungarian uh, dynasty and the heir to the, the the throne. Just insanity. The world plunged into a war over nonsense. And it seems like it's about to happen again. And I wish cooler heads would prevail. I don't understand why uh, the West is is going down this suicidal course of provoking uh, the Russians. And I, you know, I, I find myself defending the Russians for the same reason that I would defend the United States if the Russians decided to make Mexico a uh, a Warsaw Pact member and started putting Russian troops on on the border at Laredo, Texas. You know, it's a similar kind of a thing. This is this is needless and and utterly provocative kinds of actions on our part that serves no interest of Americans that I can divine. Can you? No, and 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 I I I have a hard time admitting this, but I, I read Putin's speech that he gave about a week and a half ago. Um, I read the whole thing, and look, I I don't look to him as oh what a great guy. He's a politician, okay? He's corrupt. He's dirty. He his hands have blood on them. But there was more truth in what he said than anything I have heard from any U.S. or, for that matter, EU leaders that I can think of. And that's that's yeah, a little bit I'll scary. Go, I'll go a little farther. You know, I think part of the reason that Putin is being demonized is because he's a nationalist and he's looking out for the interests of Russia. And uh, that is anathema to these elites in the West who are seeking this global new world order that's controlled by them. And naturally, Putin, as a Russian, isn't interested in that. He doesn't want to become uh, a puppet of some world regime. He wants Russia for the Russians and in the interest of the Russian people. And I'm down with that. You know, I don't have a problem with that. You know, just as each of us, you know, we're more concerned about our own family than we are about abstract other people's family. That's nature. It's natural. It's reasonable. So also countries have to be more concerned about themselves and their own interests in the interest of some soupy thing called the world community. Yeah, and there's also the consideration, too, that the very same people who are insisting, hey, you have to hate Russia and you have to chant in unison with us or else you're a Russian asset or you're a Putin stooge. These are the same people who have been systematically trying to separate you and me from our freedom nonstop. So why should I trust them now? Absolutely. And, you know, I think perhaps the most appalling, well, the second most appalling besides the prospect of a, a nuclear holocaust is that at just the moment when this country is reeling from a variety of things uh, and can least afford to do so. Uh, the people who control the government, I, I'm very careful about not referring to it as our government, are pouring money into another country that's of zero interest to the people of this country in any meaningful way. $65 billion, I think the figure is right now. Yep. How much would that, how much good could that have been done here in the United States to help Americans? And I think Americans are, are rightly outraged about this. It's, it's an obscenity that this amount of our wealth is being poured into a uh, another country that is halfway or more around the world that's, again, of absolutely no meaningful consequence to Americans in this country. Wow. By the way, I just wanted to revisit where we were a year ago when the full court press was on, uh, you know, get the vaccine or else, you know, it's, yep. it's get the jab or lose your job. Have you noticed how much the science has changed in the last 12 months? Well, I'm like everything has changed, and it's astonishing to me. It's whack-a-mole. You know, I've been I'm engaging kind of a Twitter battle with people about this. I point out, well, you know, uh, these people told you 
that these vaccines are 95% effective. They told you that uh, if you took the vaccine, you couldn't get the corona. Uh, and then they had to walk that back. In other words, they lied. And yet you still trust them whenever they say the next thing, which then proves to be another lie. The lies are just serial and ongoing. And there's this sort of, I don't know, mesmeric hypnotic effect uh, that or even that or just a deeply held religious faith among certain people that they absolutely will not consider any fact that runs contrary to their faith. And I think that probably helps to explain a lot of this. Yeah, a, a little bit later in my show, I'm actually going to be taking a, a, a brief look at an article. I don't know if you're familiar with Jordan Schachtel. Do you, do you follow any of his writing? No, I don't, but I'll check it out. Tell me. He's he's an investigative journalist, and, and maybe you can remember this. Back in December of 2020, when the, the, the um, vax was first being rolled out, there was a nurse who took the jab on live television, you know, to show us how safe it was, and then promptly passed out. Healed over. I remember <laughs> that, yeah. Would you, would you be surprised to hear that she has not been seen or heard from in public in nearly two years now? It's been, oh, it's been be, over I'd 600 be days. So surprised to hear that. And, and of course, you know, the, the mainstream and legacy media says, well, that's just conspiracy theorists. And of course, she's fine and well. But it, when you press them for, okay, so where is she? How she do, is it? Can you offer any proof of life that she's mm-hmm. okay, either not seriously injured or dead? They can't. All they can do is point fingers well, and say that. conspiracy theorist. And, well, and there's this incredibly demented dissonance of, uh, right now, anytime a 20-year-old drops dead suddenly, uh, it's, 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 it's got nothing to do with the vaccine. Couldn't possibly be. Can't even bring that up. But, uh, you know, two years ago, uh, whenever a 105-year-old person died, it had to be the Rona. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and, and now when a perfectly healthy young person, otherwise perfectly healthy, suddenly drops dead, we are just to understand that it's anything but the jab. Anything but, exactly. And it, again, it, 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 it's, it's a psychologically interesting thing in that it shows that the conversation, to use that awful liberal world word, is not being driven by fact. It's being driven uh, by psychology, the, the, the faith or lack thereof that people have in whatever the narrative happens to be. And, you know, that's why it's so challenging to have any kind of a, a reasonable discussion with believers on this stuff, because they believe. And when you believe, uh, as a matter of faith, uh, facts just simply don't matter. Well, it'll be interesting to see how much the science changes over the next 12 months, but it it just really struck me that we're in such a different place than we were. And yet Biden says, you know, the pandemic is over, at least in his interview with Scott Pelley on 60 Minutes, but the White House walks it back. Well, it may, no, 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 that's, that's, we're, we're still sticking with our policy. You have to ask, why would they do that? Sure. Well, because their power, you know, they don't want to give up the power that they've acquired uh, you know, it's telling that Biden says the pandemic's over, but he never declared the emergency over. And it is the emergency declaration that has enabled all of this uh, this rule by simply decree from these public so-called public health agencies that have no uh, electoral mandate that were not voted in by anybody that are just bureaucrats who can simply say you can't keep your store open. You have to wear a mask. You must stand six feet apart. You know, that's the kind of power that these people obtain and that they don't want to give up for any reason. Well, I, I'm happy to have found a little bit of a slice of sanity here in southern Idaho. And uh, I've been in and out of the doctor's office a few times for myself and for my kid here in the last few weeks. And I'm happy to tell you that while, while the staff in these offices still continue to wear the masks, you know, I, I assume it's, it's policy, um, not once has anybody said anything to me about uh, not wearing it. They'll hand me a mask and 
I'll say mm-hmm. thank you, but that mask goes nowhere near my face. <laughs> right. Yeah, but they still have to play this kabuki, don't they? Yeah. And it's that, that frankly, it worries me. It bothers me that the the uh, the place where this should be most readily disabused, this faith in masks, i.e., in hospitals and, and medical settings, where they perfectly know this is a bunch of nonsense, uh, they're continuing to go along with it, which shows how hobbled they have been, how fearful they are of any kind of repercussions from these gigantic corporate entities, these HMOs, these hospital chains, the ones that issue the policies. Uh, the doctors are terrified that they're going to lose their ability to practice medicine after having invested a quarter million dollars in their education, nurses and all these other people. That's why they're doing it. I got to stop you here, Eric, because we are up against the clock. Thanks yep. again for, for our chat. I feel better every time oh. we get a chance to visit. Ditto. Me too, Brian. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. A shout out here for Garage Door Pros. I would invite you, please go to their website, garagedoorproservices.com, and take a look around. Get to know them better. You're going to see this is a local company to St. George, Utah, Cedar City, Utah, Mesquite, Nevada, Colorado City, Arizona, servicing, installing, repairing garage doors, both commercially as well as residentially, and giving you the best possible service. That's another reason I'd like you to go to their website, Garage Door Pro Services, read the reviews that their customers are giving them. Absolutely glowing. And it's because they do business like you matter as a customer. So if you felt like that's kind of a a dying trend or a dying tradition, let me assure you, garagedoorproservices.com thinks otherwise, and they will give you the best possible service. I do appreciate having them as a sponsor. All right, I got a lot to share here in the next couple of segments. I want to go back just because I don't know what it is about October 10th. I had a couple of memories pop up on Facebook. And boy, 1010 must be the right power combination to really bring out the wisdom in other people. Not me, but other people. For instance, a year ago today, Tom Cranowitter, who is, uh, I, I don't even know how to describe Tom. He's, he's a great thinker. That's why I follow him on Facebook. Ask the question, what does it mean to be a dissident in America today? And his answer is, it means to be among those who value reason, believe objective moral truth is possible, prefer self-government and individual responsibility over scientific central planning, demand equal protection of the laws for the natural freedom and private property of each and every citizen without regard to skin color, sexual preferences, current income level, and love liberty and the human flourishing Unleashed when people are free to keep whatever they earn or produce and free to create, invent, innovate, and voluntarily trade with others. And he says, I am a dissident. I think that's a pretty good way to describe it. Oh, you'll be called other things, top among them extremist, but that's pretty powerful stuff. Here's one more. This was from a couple years ago. This was from T.K. Coleman from the Foundation for Economic Education. And this one hit me just because I never know how big my audience is. And T.K. is among the people who's convinced me it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter. You know, what's the sheer numbers of people that are listening right now? That doesn't matter. Here's why. He says so many people hold themselves back because they think, well, I'm not unique enough. and There are already a bunch of artists, writers, thinkers, and creators out there. But he says, what if it wasn't about being the best? What if it was about serving those who will only receive it 
from you. So for whatever reason you have chosen to dial into this little program, I thank you. And in fact, I I take that as kind of a sacred trust, you know, that uh, I'm here to serve you. And, and that's what I hope I'm doing, not just, you know, raising your blood pressure or otherwise, you know, causing you to feel anxious. It's really, it's an honor to be able to do this. And, and however big or small this audience is, I want you to know, I'm giving you my very best every day. And I appreciate those of you who actually, you know, reach out to me and say, hey, I found an article that I think you might find interesting and pass it along to me. Because more often than not, I do. And, and I incorporate those. So let me share one that uh, this crossed my path yesterday. Love this. I don't know if you're familiar with the screw tape letters from C.S. Lewis, but it's one of the best examinations of human nature as well as spirituality. For in a nutshell, it's a, a devil advising his nephew, who's an apprentice devil, how to best tempt humans. And, and it's just such a brilliant approach. It's an indirect approach to how we can overcome you know, the temptation to live beneath what we could become. And, and few people have been able to do this as effectively as C.S. Lewis. Now, Judd Dunning does a terrific redux of Lewis's work with uh, a Hurricane Ian Aftermath edition. And I have to say, this is pretty clever, but he makes his, his point so beautifully. He says, with crime, recession, national insecurity, and cultural decline now littering the American landscape, I found myself thinking of one of the most compelling books ever written, lay theologian C.S. Lewis's The Screwtape Letters. The 1961 novel is a series of letters from a fictional demon bureaucrat named Screwtape to his nephew and acolyte, Wormwood. The letters instruct Wormwood to cleverly destroy the faith and morality of a patient he's assigned to influence. Now, Screwtape's tactics are subtle, and clever, appearing harmless or even virtuous at first glance. And he says, they now strike me as hauntingly familiar, and not just as an individual. He says, uh, you know, but for, for America. So beyond the usual fare of my books, my column, and TV and radio work delivering rationalist opposition to the inanity of the common day, he says, in homage to Lewis, I proffer my two-part series of letters updated to 2022, featuring a new senior demon named Screw Masking Tape and his nephew Cricketwood. So, part one, my dear Cricketwood, my poppet, my pig's knee. My dear Cricketwood, it is I, your uncle, Screw Masking Tape. I hope you're enjoying Hurricane Ian as much as we are. We've been watching Ron DeSantis handle this storm with irritatingly serious, decisive leadership. Hopefully our little storm doesn't put him on the national ticket in 2024. That would be a very unintended consequence for us. It's been some time since my former letters of instruction to your predecessor, older brother, and my other nephew, Wormwood, Worm Food, rather. (laughs) Sorry. I am burning with pride to announce that his lower efforts have been phenomenally successful. As I was basking in the warmth of our eternal fires at our headquarters, I realized that the Jewish New Year of 5783, Rosh Hashanah, had just passed. So with some urgency before any reflection and prayer could motivate the Jews and their Christian brethren to dismantle our post-2020 victories... I've decided it's time we commence your own training. My nephew, he says, you arrived on the job at a glorious time. Our grand design progresses perfectly, like Swiss clockwork under America's new rule by progressive elites. It's a new roaring 20s for our side. Yet, ironically, the devilish delight we are experiencing presently almost wasn't so. 
Two years after my 1961 letters to Worm Food, we had a near disastrous internal PR leak when the 45 communist goals, as read into the night, were read in, into the 1963 congressional record. Now it was taken seriously by some, but most Americans ignored it and did not catch our little slip-up. I do suggest reading it when you have time. For our side, it's a top 10 hits of ongoing victories over the last 60 years. Just a few of the undeniable triumphs. Capture one or both political parties in the United States. Use technical decisions by courts to weaken basic American institutions by claiming their activities violate civil rights. Get control of schools, textbooks, and teachers' unions. Use them to, to, to transmit propaganda. Present promiscuity and sexual deviancy as normal, deviancy rather, as normal, natural, and healthy. Gain control of key positions in radio, TV, motion pictures, and print media. Replace religion and church-going with the virtue-signaling morality of social justice. Discredit the founding fathers. Present them as rich, slave-owning aristocrats. Discredit all of law enforcement by focusing on uncommon rogue cops. Infiltrate and gain control of unions representing government bureaucrats. And diminish the two-parent family by replacing fatherhood with government support. See how well we've already done, he says. Welcome to the winning side, my young apprentice. I would also recommend my favorite inspirational book, The Ten Planks of the Communist Manifesto. A great reader's companion, communism truly is one of our lower lord's most outstanding achievements. Please also note that we also got lucky when a vast swath of American baby boomers matured in the 60s. They turned away from all things traditional and chose a corrosive lifestyle of sex, drugs, and narcissism, all while calling it free love. Amazing how many of them later became Silicon Valley executives, tenured college professors, and wealthy entertainment industry moguls, all of whom remain some of our absolute best promoters to this day. Their recent rebranding of collectivist communism into a simple woke war on all that comes from on high has been absolute genius. Encouraging sin to foster despair and despondency in our patients is easy. Mortals often seek pleasure instead of embracing arduous work or character building during setbacks. The simplicity of a sin has always been our most damning grace. Getting patients to stray can be easy. Betrayal, of course, requires a bit more work for us. It took us more than 30 years to entirely turn Pelosi and Biden, but they were worth every whisper by our minions. Once again, welcome aboard, dear Cricketwood. Remember, always take the low road and never forget your main responsibility of bringing down that shining city on a hill. That's done one heart and mind at a time. More next week. Your affectionate uncle, Screw Masking Tape. Pretty good stuff, huh? By the way, if you haven't read the Screw Tape Letters... Take the time to do it. C.S. Lewis was such an incredibly gifted writer, and and as a even though he was what to, what to the writer here calls a lay theologian, man, that guy understood more about man's relationship to God, and and our potential to be so much more and to treat each other as so much more than we do. If you need a little bit of a respite from all the bad news, I would recommend C.S. Lewis. Something to lift your mind and expand your thinking to a little bit higher realm of possibilities. It's kind of reassuring when you think, man, somebody actually gets it. And the screw tape letters are one of the best examples of learning how to not be manipulated or tempted into things that are against your better interest. All right, we'll take a quick break. We'll be back in just a moment.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Welcome back to the show. I'd like to thank HSL Ammo and also LifesavingFood.com for being a sponsor of this program. These sponsors help me to do what I do on a daily basis. And in addition to them, I appreciate that wonderful, dedicated cadre of listeners who make a regular donation on a monthly basis. You notice I I haven't asked for these for for months and months, and I'm not going to start again now. But uh, there are those who send five or ten dollars, you know, a couple of coffees equivalent each month in interest of helping to keep this show going. And I so appreciate it. And it does help. And as I've, as I've mentioned before, that is something I use as a very sacred trust that is used to speak truth and to promote truth, however, and wherever I can. And I greatly appreciate and love those who take the time to do it. So three quick articles I want to share in this, and I'm just going to touch on the first couple. First and foremost, I don't know if you, if you saw this last week, but if you had any doubt as to the lengths to which those in authority will go to prevent you from knowing the truth. Here's a good example. Twitter first censored and then unblocked a tweet from Florida Surgeon General warning of an mRNA risk for young men. This is amazing. I mean, look, this guy is legitimately the Surgeon General of the state of Florida. And uh, apparently he had tweeted out something uh, last week. It's Dr. Joseph Ladapo. And he focused on an analysis on COVID-19 mRNA vaccines that the public needs to be aware of, which demonstrated, uh, it is a report that demonstrated an increased risk of cardiac-related death among men 18 to 39. And the tweet continued, Florida will not be silent on the issue. Now, the tweet included a link to the report itself. This Okay, so it's not just him throwing his opinion out there. He links to the report, which took a closer look at all cases of those who died within 25 weeks of being vaccinated, not including those who either had a documented COVID infection, a COVID-related death, <clears throat> had previously taken a booster shot, or had received their most recent COVID vaccine after December 8th of 2021. And a problem was observed, especially among those younger men. Isn't it telling that Twitter immediately, ah, you, you can't say that, even though this, this is a very legitimate report, but to suggest that, well, it, it might cast some doubt on the narrative, uh-huh, almost as if some people may have been, oh, I don't know, politicized and lying to us for some reason, yeah, amazing, and Twitter's first response, well, we delete the tweet. And then, of course, that raised some outrage because people are like, this is a Surgeon General. This is the Florida Surgeon General, which some people were like, well, yeah, he's politicized. You know, obviously, he's just doing the bidding of Ron DeSantis. And this is the problem with people who for whom politics is the prime driver. Everything they see appears to be driven by politics. And they're really projecting their own thinking, their own motivations on other people. Now, Twitter relented. They put the tweet back. Just keep in mind. Someone, somewhere, felt that this was important enough that it needed to be kept from people like you and me. Why would they do that? I'll let you come up with the answer uh, to that question. I'm not sure I know. Second thing, and this is, this is one for anybody who enjoys a trip down the rabbit hole. I don't often invite people, hey, come on, let's go, let's go check out this conspiracy. But do you remember the video a couple years back? It was December of 2020. A nurse was on TV getting the vaccine. 
right? To show us how, how safe it is. And right after she got the vaccine, right there on live TV, within just, you know, a minute or so, she passed out right there on live television. It didn't look good. I mean, the optics were bad. It's like, come on, this is totally safe. And I, uh, down she goes to the floor. Jordan Schachtel, who is one of the better investigative journalists of our day, shares the growing mystery surrounding this nurse. And, you know, she has a name. Tiffany Dover is her name. Here's the really crazy thing. She has been almost impossible to find. In fact, uh, people have, have said, well, there's a big conspiracy theory that she's, you know, disappeared from, you know, the, uh, the public uh, eye. But the truth of the matter is, even the people who are saying that's a big conspiracy theory can't find her. There's some people who wonder, well, was she severely injured? What happened? It became a nightmare PR situation, both for the medical center as well as for the vaccine rollout campaign. Jordan Schachtel has a wonderful article on this. And again, I'm not encouraging you, hey, here's a great conspiracy theory to sink your teeth into. I'm just saying this is pretty interesting considering that we're being assured. Oh, no, no, there was never a problem. The facts don't appear to line up in that direction. 650 days of silence. Dover has not been seen in a public setting in that time. For almost two years, she was a very prolific social media user on Instagram and elsewhere. She's been entirely off the grid. And even her family is very tight-lipped about this. Kind of makes you wonder, what's that all about? All right, finally, good news comes in surprising forms. Uh, For instance, increased literacy advances the cause of freedom. Got a great article here from Annie Holmquist from intellectualtakeout.org explaining how the revival of phonics may sound the death knell for tyranny. Yeah. She says, I came across some good news today, the kind of news that makes me think there is some hope for America and its citizens. Well, what is this good news, you might ask? It's simple, really. Schools are beginning to teach phonics again. Now, she says, is that all I can hear you reply? That's not such a big deal. Al contraire. Teaching phonics is a very big deal. For in teaching phonics, we enable literacy to surge, which makes our knowledge soar, which in turn brings common sense and understanding back to the minds of the voting public. And he says that America has finally realized the importance of phonics is evident in a recent New York Times article by Bella DiMarco, sounding out a better way to teach reading. There, DiMarco describes how early grade school students in central Virginia sound out letters without any cues to help them guess. The joy on their faces when the sounds of the letters click into a word gives a good picture of how much of of a decoding game reading is. Once you know the key to the code, everything becomes clear. Teaching students that code is having impressive effects. After just one year using the new reading strategy, DeMarco writes, Richmond Public Schools raised its early literacy scores seven points, the largest single-year gains the district has seen. And this is not the only, and it's not only this school that's seen success. The entire state of Mississippi first started using a phonics-based approach to reading in 2013, DeMarco tells us. By 2019, its national standing in fourth grade reading scores went from 49th to 29th. Now, that's not bad considering Mississippi is the poorest state in the union. But can teaching phonics have that much positive impact on our nation as a whole? Surely American students have always struggled with reading. Isn't it overly optimistic to say that teaching phonics can help them grow in knowledge and understanding? Well, Annie Holmquist says to answer those questions, it's helpful to look at some historical data on the literacy rates, data which former Teacher of the Year John Taylor Gatto laid out in his book, The Underground History of American Education. According to Gatto, 
literacy was universal in the American colonies. In fact, it seems reading was so easy to teach that many schools in colonial days didn't even offer reading instruction because schoolmasters were willing to, few schoolmasters rather, were willing to waste time teaching what was so easy to learn. Apparently, parents or perhaps dame school teachers were expected to take care of such a simple task. Perhaps we should consider that an early endorsement for homeschooling, but she says, I, dig- I digress. Such high literacy rates were apparently par for the course until World War II. For military tests found a 96% literacy rate among millions of men who registered and were either inducted into the military or rejected for various reasons. When the Korean War rolled around a few years later, the literacy rate dropped to 81%. Gato explains it dropped even further to 73% during recruitment for the Vietnam War. So what happened within those three short decades to cause such a sudden decline in literacy rates? Well, Gato wrote... One change is indisputable, well-documented, and easy to track. During World War II, American public schools massively converted, converted rather, to non-phonetic ways of teaching reading. Today, only 37% of high school seniors can read proficiently. Are the 63% who can't read proficiently illiterate? Proficiently illiterate, rather? Some, yes. Others can likely read enough to get by, but such reading is unenjoyable. And while reading is unenjoyable, or when it's unenjoyable, learning and growth and knowledge is much harder to come by. So such a lack of power doesn't do much for students, but it does do a lot for those in power, whether they're close to the home in the schools or local communities or farther away in the halls of Congress or the White House. If students are unable to read well, or if at all, that they will be unable to discern important truths and make connections from those truths to accurately judge the character and actions of those in power. And if they can't accurately judge whether the actions of those in power are right or wrong, then they will tread ever closer to living under tyranny. She says, John Adams said it best when he wrote, I must judge for myself, but how can I judge? How can any man judge unless his mind has been opened and enlarged by reading? A man who can read will find in his Bible, in his common sermon books that common people have by them, and even in the almanac and the newspapers, rules and observations that will enlarge his range of thought and enable him to the better judge who has and who has not that integrity of heart and that compass of knowledge and understanding which forms the statesman. Powerful quote. I'd never seen that quote before, but that's exactly why the resurgence of phonics is joyous news. Annie Holmquist says such instruction clearly sets students on a path to being stronger readers, and once they are stronger readers, they will increase in knowledge and become a more discerning kind of person, shining a light on and exposing those who would lead blind followers on the path toward tyranny. I think she's right. And this is, in fact, some very good news. This is The Brian Hyde Show.